0: Hello, and welcome to the Antioch Fort Worth weekly podcast. At Antioch, our desire is to cultivate a passion for Jesus and his purposes on the earth. To connect with us in community, partner with us through giving, or visit on a Sunday morning, please visit AntiochFortWorth.com. I am so just stoked to hear this message a second time because you guys, Graydon's on it today. This is a good word for us, and it's a joy for me to, I, I love, Graydon and I talk about theological stuff and get to sharpen each other, and he's just a great friend. I've watched him go from being the one and only college student and helping to build this, literally the first student in, in, in that this iteration of things, to uh, then going through college, being a life group leader, and now being on staff as our youth pastor. Y'all give it up for Graydon Jones. <laughs> I love this church. Love being here, and I love my family. Uh, my beautiful wife Christina over there, she's awesome. I've uh, been married three and a half years. We got a baby. Uh, her name is Natalie, and check it out. She is so cute, and she's so happy. We yeah, she loves TCU, so she's gonna be uh, a future Horn Frog for sure. And uh, she's just awesome. Uh, I love her so. Let me open up my Bible, and then. Uh, Uh, actually, let's pray. Let's start by praying. That's a good good way to start. So, Jesus, uh, Lord, we just pray that you come be in this place with us. God, would you speak through me, Jesus? I don't want to say anything today. I want you to speak through me, God. So, Lord, I'm asking that you would come fill me up with your presence, Lord, to help us to just embrace this Lent season, Lord, and decrease so that you can increase in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so we're in this free to run series, and it is our Lent series, and our kind of banner verse here is Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. So I'm going to start, I'm going to launch out of this for us. In verse 1, it says this Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Man! What a, what a passage. And that's what we're talking about here is just getting freed up so that we can run with endurance to Jesus. And that is the heart of Lent. If you don't know much about Lent, it's really incredible. It's, it's ancient practice that goes back to around the Council of Nicaea in 325. That was a long time ago. So it connects us to the ancient church. And it's really supposed to be these 40 days of fasting leading up to Easter. And it's, it's, a, it's modeled after Jesus going into the wilderness. For 40 days and fasting before starting ministry. And it's supposed to pr- prepare our hearts. To meet with Jesus. It's supposed to prepare our hearts for the cross and for the resurrection. And it's it's all about decreasing and slowing down and fasting and repenting and just and just getting, getting free with the Lord so that we can run. It's such amazing thing. It also connects us to the global church today. I mean, across nations, denominations. And so we're we're joining, uh, we're locking arms with our brothers and sisters by doing Lent uh, in this season. And it's kind of like, you know, Lent is like if you saw someone in the airport with like 27 bags, you know, and they're trying to check them all. And it's like, dude, you need to let some things go. You know, you need to get free, you know. And so that's what Lynn is. Like, let's just get free. And if you, if you can imagine having to do that, like that's going on in your life with all this other baggage. Let's just, let's just get free. Let's let it go uh, during this series. So last week, Randy Brown set it up so good, talking about laying down unbelief and just faith is our foundation. Guys, we're called to a life of faith. And so this morning, uh, I get to bring a word that I've been thinking about and chewing on for months now, and I'm excited that God is going to uh, speak it to us this morning. And, uh, you know, I just, I want to say that my goal here this morning is to set you and Jesus up, okay? So I want, I want you to meet with Jesus, and I'm like... To like try and tee it up and then kind of back away and like you guys work it out, you know what I mean? Because, because what I'm talking about, it can't be settled in 30 minutes, there's no way, right? Nothing that we preach about can be settled in 30 minutes, and so you're gonna have to kind of wrestle these things out, you're gonna have to work it out with Jesus. And so, I'm trying to set you up this morning. I want you to just have a little, a little encounter with Jesus as I'm speaking so that you can go out and you guys can work it out together. Uh, I'm also, I just want like I'm quoting Jesus, and if you don't like what he said, take it up with him, you know. Like, Like, does y'all talk about that? You know, he's a lot better to talk about with that. So, um, you know, and so here's the deal. Here's the word. Here's what I'm offering to you this morning is that when we talk about getting free to run, I think one of the biggest weights and entanglements on us today is the obsession with my rights. Okay. And, And I want to call us this morning with a smile on my face to lay down our rights. OK, and I think that we're going to experience more of Jesus when we start doing that. OK, and so, you know, before before you get like all sideways, you know, you know I love rights. Like I think rights are important. And when, when we're talking about like, you know, your rights as a citizen or like human rights. Yes, I'm so for it. Don't leave here being like, Graydon doesn't think we should have rights. You know, like that's not true. I'm talking about personal rights. I'm talking about the thing, the rights that we feel like I feel the right to be in control of my life. I feel the right to think or say anything regardless of how it affects other people. I feel the right to craft my own existence within the boundaries of my preferences, right? And so that those are some rights that I'm talking about today. And I think, man, like if we're honest, how much of our conflict and our arguments and our troubles in life come from us being unable to lay down our rights, how many arguments have you had in your marriage, in your family, with your roommates, with a teacher, with a friend, because one or both of you were just stuck on a right, and you kept hitting that wall over and over and over. And some of them, guys, are totally legitimate rights. Like, we, we want to have a happy life. We want to be respected. We want to be loved. We want to be accepted, right? But what if those those rights were not the goal of our life? right? What if we started to see that that right to be understood led to going around and around and around that conflict in your life, right? That right to be heard. No, you didn't hear me. You didn't understand me. This is what I said, right? And and how many times do we just, man, we get totally lost when we're obsessed with our rights. And if you think about it, we live in a world where everything is supposed to bow down to your preferences, we live in a world where we can literally craft everything according to how I want it, right? We have phones, and they determine who we talk to and when we want to talk to them, right? We have Netflix. It's just like every, every you know, there's more hours on Netflix than you can ever consume in a lifetime, but it's 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 perfectly crafted to what you want to watch, right, based on what you like. Netflix knows what you like. I don't know how. I don't know all that stuff, but it does. It knows what you like, and it wants to craft an experience just for you, right? And we get in our cars in our garage and pull out and we leave and go to work and we park in a parking garage so we don't have to talk to anybody or see anybody, right? And we have the, the certain clothes we like and we, we wear makeup and we have the car we want to drive because we're trying to craft the exact thing that you need to see about my life and I only want to experience what I want to experience, right? That's the world we live in today and that's like well-intentioned people. That's like normal, right? And then we got some negative stuff and I feel a right to be offended. You know, and like everybody's offended and we're all offended. You know, even if you complain about people being offended, it's because their offense offends you, right? So everybody's offended. We're all together in this, you know? And what about like unforgiveness? I feel a right to withhold my forgiveness for a certain amount of time, right? And it's like we we think that holding out on forgiveness is going to create a better life for me. Like I just want to live in a life of bitterness, you know, because it's better. You know, because I—that at least you learned your lesson. You know, <laughs> okay. You know, and I, I like it's hypocrisy, right? Like I read the Bible and love Jesus, and I sometimes withhold forgiveness. What? We all do that. Like that is a right that we feel. We feel a right to judgment. You know, like I'm gonna. Ju- and when we do that, we're putting ourselves on the throne of heaven, saying, "God, scoot over, because this is my place now. I'm gonna judge. I'm gonna be the judge." Man, I don't want that. You know, lack of empathy. I feel a right to be about my own world and not care about what's going on in yours. I'm just going to be about myself, right? And I, I uh, saw this study. I didn't read it because, you know, I don't read studies. I'm not like a scientist or something. But I saw that there was a study done. Um, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. Uh, and so mi- did you know that? I'm not a scientist. Michigan State did this, uh, this study on empathy. And they studied college students from 1970 to 2010. So 40 years of college students. They studied their empathy. And they found out that over 40 years, they lost 40% of their empathy. Okay, so just one percent a year, we're just going down, 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 down. So we don't care about anybody else but ourselves, right? And I was talking to my dad about about this, about empathy, and he, you know, he said the opposite of empathy is not anger; it's it's indifference, right? It's just not caring about other people. And I think if we're so obsessed with with putting our energy towards creating our own boundaries of preferences and our own perfect world, then we don't have any energy left for other people. Then we don't have any any energy. That's hard to say. Any energy? Uh, it, we don't have any energy in order to like care about what's going on in your world because I'm so holding on to my different rights. I'm grasping for rights to try and keep myself safe from an existence that I don't like. Right? And it's like, man, what? This is not a pretty picture. You know, like it's just selfishness. This is what selfishness looks like. And this is the normal world that we live in. We got to know that that this is what the world is like. But there's good news, right? Because Jesus can set us free. Jesus can change things. And Jesus has a kingdom that is so fundamentally different than the world. And it is so different than what's going on in this selfish picture that I just drew. And that, this is really the main thing today, is that the kingdom of God, it was, it is, and it ever will be subversive to the me first nature of the world. Okay? So it was And it is, and it's always going to be subversive to me first in the nature of this world, okay? And so we're going to go to Matthew 5 together, if you want to turn there in your own Bibles, because Jesus had a few things to say about this as well. he's, He's painting a picture of the alternative to selfishness that we have in the kingdom of God. We're going to go to verse 38 here. We're going to start there and go down to 48, this first section here. Jesus says, you've heard it. Awesome. Wow. Okay, so when you read that, you probably think, man, like, what in the world is Jesus really saying? Like, what is this? actually mean. And Jesus is specifically drawing a few uh, word pictures here for us that actually meant a lot in his in his time. And so I want to kind of uh, help us understand this. So he, he talks about getting slapped on the cheek and turning the other cheek. And he says specifically, if you get slapped on uh, on the left cheek, uh, or oh, sorry, on the right cheek, then turn him the left cheek, right? And what Jesus is trying to say there is back in this culture, um, if you were slapped on the right cheek, you were probably slapped with the right hand like this. But if you turn, then it would be a back and slap. And in Jesus's culture, that was extremely disrespectful to do that. Um, it was insulting. And that's what Jesus is talking about in this first picture. He's talking about insult. He's talking about belittlement and disrespect. And I want us to apply this in maybe not a physical way, but what about a verbal way or an emotional way? If you feel insulted, disrespected, totally belittled, do we turn the other cheek, right? Or are we obsessed with with the insult. Another picture here, give your cloak. And, and so he says, if you get sued for your tunic, just throw in your cloak, right? And in, in a, uh, in this Jewish culture, the tunic was the robe that was closest to the body, and you probably had many of those. They were not nice. A cloak, however, was a really nice piece of clothing, and you probably only had one. Maybe two, but probably only one. And you actually used your cloak as your blanket at night to keep warm. And in Exodus 22, it literally says in the law that if you borrow a cloak, make sure you give it back because he's going to need it to stay warm tomorrow, right? And so Jesus says, well, what if you were sued for your tunic? What if you just gave your cloak as well? And it's it's an invitation to go above what is required of you in the law, right? Because there's no law that says you need to be nice to people who sue you. Right. In general, you get a number amount, you get whatever thing you're being sued for, and you give only that and nothing above. You You don't have to do that. You're not supposed to do that, actually. But Jesus says, what if your heart was so generous that you just threw in your cloak? What if you trusted that I was going to keep you warm somehow tonight? Right? In this third picture, walk the second mile, you know, Rome controlled every part of where the Jews led at this time, and they were a brutal empire, and they wanted to know, they wanted you to know that they were in control. And so there was a law at that time that any Roman soldier could pick any Jewish man, no matter what he was doing, if he was at work or with his family, and say, stop what you're doing, get my equipment, and walk in any direction where I want to go with my stuff. And at the end of the mile, you were done. By law, you were not supposed to keep going. And Jesus says, you know, when you feel so disrespected by that Roman soldier, sol, soldier and you have to leave what you're doing, what if you just kept going for free, right? What if you kept going, even though it's not required by law, and you, you wanted to serve that man who hates you so much that you would walk the second mile? These are crazy pictures that Jesus is drawing for us to not retaliate. Right? To be disrespected and yet to, to, to love that person so well in the moment that we would respond in love. And I probably see or hear maybe some of us just thinking in our hearts, yeah, but what about this? Right? So I want to address the yeah, buts because we got some of those. And one of them is just, yeah, but what, what about, what about standing up for ourselves? Right? Are you saying that we need to be pushovers? Right? And we just never let anything go our way. And I'm not saying that. And I want to say three things to that. First of all, I'm quoting Jesus. Okay. I just want to remind you of that. I'm quoting Jesus. Okay. But second of all, like, you know, Jesus, um, Jesus doesn't want you to just never stand up for yourself. In fact, I believe that God wants us to apply Scripture with wisdom to our actual lives. And the reason that we ask that question is because we're obsessed with the, like the actual you know, picture. And Jesus isn't worried about the particulars of what he said, because you're probably not going to get sued for a tunic, okay? What he's obsessed with is the heart condition. That's what it's about. So if you were, would your heart be in such a condition that you would throw an extra, right? If you were insulted, is your heart condition in such a way that you wouldn't retaliate? right? But you would turn the other cheek. This is what it's about. And lastly, I consider laying down your rights much more courageous than being selfish. And so I don't think it means we're pushovers, guys. I think it means we do a harder job. Being selfish is easy. Like, that's neutral for me, you know? And so, man, I'm not going to be a pushover. I'm actually going to be courageous in this fight to to love people well. Jesus totally changes the game for us, but it's not changing the game for him because this is always what he's been like. Jesus has always been like this. He doesn't retaliate. Jesus gave up heaven so that he could go be around simple, nasty people, right? So he could die for them and save them. This is what Jesus has always been like. He's just calling us into what he is like, right? And uh, and here, here's why this is so important, is that Jesus is the only way you're going to do this. If Jesus is your source, And this is important for us. And so I want you to, if you take anything away, I want you to take this away. Jesus has to be your source for everything if you're going to lay down your rights. Because most of us are trying to get something from other people. When Jesus isn't our source for everything, for life, for love, for acceptance, for respect, for validation— then I'm going to try and grab it wherever I can get it, right? From other people, the way you treat me, that if I'm living that way, then I am going to determine my worth based on how you respond to my sermon. Right? But if I'm, if I'm connected to Jesus and he's my source and I'm hearing him say, I'm proud of you. Right? And I don't care what you think. Right? But I, I hope you, I hope you like this sermon. I just want <laughs> you to say, I hope, I hope that you, I hope that you experience God right now. But I'm just saying, I'm listening to my father more than you right? And so if if Jesus is my source for everything, I can turn my cheek. I can let the insult slide off, right? If, if Jesus is my source, then I'll give my cloak away because I know my God will, will keep me warm and provide something else for me. If Jesus is my source, then I will walk the second mile for someone I don't like and who doesn't like me right? Because I'm getting what I need from the true source of life, right? So Jesus has to be your source. We cannot blame. We can't play the blame game. Well, my life would be different if they would just, you know, blank or he would just, or she would just, right? Jesus is saying, hey, it's a you problem because you need to be connected to me. I'll give you what you need if you just stay connected, right? What if we just gave people the benefit of the doubt every time because Jesus was our source? What if we just gave up our right to be understood when we're in that argument and we keep going around and around because I want to listen, because I know that God has my back, right? What if we didn't give up on people who are trying their best? What if we were generous as our normal mode of living, right? I mean, these are just opportunities for us if we just stay connected to Jesus and trust that he's going to take care of me. He's going to sort things out. I don't have to take things into my own hands, and for many of us, we need to find out what, are, what are my two to three little trigger rights, right? What are my two to three rights that I always go off? I always retaliate when that right is being, uh, is being, uh, under attack, right? So for some of us, it means maybe respect. Like when I'm disrespected, I just go off. Some of us, it's laziness. It just makes me mad when people are lazy, right? Or complaining. Why aren't you grateful? Oh, I'm going to get mad at you, right? Maybe it's justice, like totally legitimate, like things that are unjust, but it just makes us go off and take things in our own hands. I think about, because I like history, if you remember John Brown from the Civil War era, he hated slavery. And that's a good thing to dislike, right? But he started killing people about it. And he he's tried to start a slave insurrection that would have led to much more death, right? And so he traded one sin for another. That's not what God's after, right? He wants you to trust him. He's gonna sort it out. He's gonna sort out the evil when his people start praying. And when they start loving him and, and true relationship and trusting that he will sort it out, what are your two to three personal rights? You always retaliate. That's a place where Jesus is not your source. You're trying to get it from other people. And so Jesus can be your source in that place. All right, we're going to keep moving through this passage because Jesus has more to say. Whoa, verse 43. He says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons and daughters of your father who's in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Right? I'm going to leave the last verse for later here. So, I mean, this should just blow us away, right? Jesus is saying, you are different. You see what all the world's doing? We're going to be different right? We're going to love our enemies. We're going to pray for those who persecute us. This is like the central Christian principle that we would love our enemies, that Jesus would be our source so much that we would have an overflow to love those who don't love us, right? This is what sets us apart. Enemies, we love them. Persecution, we don't pray that it would stop. We pray that the persecutor would be changed, right? Because that's more powerful. If the persecutor gets transformed by Jesus, that's more powerful than persecution stopping for now, right? You see that? You see the shift, right? I'm about people because God's about people and he loves every person. Here we, we see again, Jesus isn't asking us to be pushovers. He's asking us to pray, to take action through love, right? To not do nothing, but to do something in love, right? We don't have to take it in our own hands. Love is a choice. You know, Jesus didn't say, be best friends with your enemies. You know, you don't have to go to brood with them, You know, like you can just love them and you don't have to hang out with them all the time, but you need to sometimes because you need to love them. Right. And so, man, this is a choice, not a feeling. If we really live this way, then here's the crazy thing. Jesus says in verse 45, this is so that you can be sons and daughters of your father. Like this is a family rule. Like this is what we do in our family. We love enemies. We pray for those who persecute us. Some of you guys probably have family rules in your house, right? Like, you know, if you're, uh, you know, if you're a Jones and we respond in joy, like that's a family rule. And when you don't do that, it's not that you leave the family, like you're in our family. But when you don't do that, you're operating outside of who you are. You are, you are living a, a false identity when you do that, right? And for some of us in this room, we, we didn't realize that this was a family rule. Like if you're not loving enemies, then you're not being who you really are. This is your identity in Jesus. This is who we are. When you are like your father, it means you're loving your enemies. This is a family rule for us. It's too important for us to miss. It's too important for you to miss this, that God wants you to be his son and his daughter. And that means you need to love your enemies, right? And for some of us in this room, we have given ourselves a pass from loving certain people. And we've given ourselves a pass from, from loving certain people groups. And, and we, we just, we're, we're totally blind to it because it's just how we've lived, right? And th- there's maybe two categories in this. One category would be the obvious one. It's just the evil category, right? People who do evil stuff. We just feel like we don't need to love them. Well, I'm talking about dictators and terrorists and mass murderers and traffickers, right? And we just think, man, I just, they're so evil. Right? I don't need to love them. I don't need to empathize with them. I found myself thinking about this recently because I was reading this book on uh, Abraham Lincoln. And there was a moment where he gave this speech before he was president that it kind of just like literally, like, it kind of just got me offended. You know, this is what it said. Uh, In an attempt to avoid alienating Southerners, slave owners, Lincoln admitted that he could understand and appreciate the fact that the institution of slavery would be difficult to get rid of and that he would not blame them for not doing what he wouldn't know how to do. The author summarizes it this way, rather than berate the slave owners, Lincoln sought to comprehend their position through empathy. And I read that and I just felt like my little justice meter just kind of went off like, ah, like wrong, throw the flag, 15 yards, like repeat first down, Lincoln, you know? And, and I, but, but pretty quickly I just, I felt another voice that I felt like was the Lord saying, you feel like you can withhold your empathy based on a particular sin? Like that's it. You're going to choose that and say they don't deserve love. Right. And I just felt like, man, was it a terrible, terrible thing? Yes. Was it among the worst creations of human history? Yes. But does God love them? And did Jesus die for them? And am I called to love them? Yes. And so I just felt like, man, Jesus doesn't hate the oppressors of this world. And if I'm being honest with myself, I had given myself a pass to hate them and to never let love enter my heart for them. And Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus prays for persecutors and loves enemies. And the second category is, is even worse. <laughs> we can just be embarrassed together. We hate people that are different than us. Right, like there's so many people and categories that we put in our in our hearts that like they I don't need to be nice to them I don't need to love them I don't need to empathize with them Right and some of them are trivial like your boss Right you just never say a good thing about your boss You know and you just think "Eh, whatever You know I just like I just want to think about that Right and and but for some of these it's like it's a big deal Right but we we withhold love from people based on their sin. As if we don't have sin in our life, right? And we say, you know, maybe it's for you, it's specifically people living a homosexual lifestyle because that's so on the fringes of your life. you never known anybody, you struggle with that. And so you're just like, man, I just, I don't think I need to love them or understand or empathize, right? Maybe it's different religions, you know, Muslims maybe. Maybe you feel like there's not a lot of love in your heart for Muslims right now. Jesus got love in his heart for Muslims, right? Throw in atheists in here, right? Of those people, we just don't need to love them. I don't even know where to find one. I, I'm just like, they're just not a part of my life, right? Man, Jesus loves atheists. He loves them, right? And maybe it's different nationalities, if we're being honest. We grew up in a place where everybody on my street looked like me. And so I don't have anybody in my life that's just straight up, looks different than me. And so they're an unknown. And let me tell you something about humans, because I'm an anthropologist, is that humans don't <laughs> We we don't like things that are different. We fear the unknown. We all fear the unknown, right? And so if you are realizing that your perfectly crafted preferential life has nobody that's different than you, then you're not going to know how to love people. You're not going to know how to empathize with your enemy if there's no enemies in your circle, right? You need a bigger circle, right? Jesus, like, oh, let me tell you this first. My first, this example, it's kind of light, is that sports rivals, too. Like, we hate people on the other teams, right? And Christina and I went to the Mavs-Spurs game, and I was under some conviction because I was insulting, like, fans and players and coaches, the entire organization's existence, and I was like, man, I'm preaching about love your enemies on Sunday. What am I doing? You know, and, and uh, like, literally, I just like, dude, and we, we ride the train back and I made friends with a Spurs fan. Yeah. Literally, yeah. like, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm awesome. Yeah, it's great. And uh, <laughs> it's a funny example. I think it was actually my first one. I, I, my Number one, I got one Spurs fan, uh, friend. But here's the deal, guys. It's a funny example. But many of us have never had a face-to-face conversation like a friend with somebody different than us. And man, we're not going to know how to love if we never done that, right? And so here, here's the deal. Jesus was constantly hanging out with his enemies. Do you notice this? Like the Pharisees were always around Jesus. Like he ate in their homes. He met with them and talked. They're always at his teachings. Like he hung out with his enemies. He talked to his enemies, right? And he had a lot of first century, you know, rights to say, I'm not going to be around that person. I'm not going to be around that enemy. Uh, Maybe in their culture, I'm not going to talk to women. I'm not going to talk to the Samaritan, right? Jesus had a lot of rights at his disposal. He didn't use any of them. He broke through all those walls and he started talking. He got in their world. He started loving them. Man, what if we started to do that? What if we started to let cultural norms not actually influence us, right? And we said, I don't care what my rights are. I'm going to lay them down so that I can be with people and I can love them. I can serve them. I can ask Jesus to come work through that. We've got a lot of excuses. I just don't know that person or I don't live in their neighborhood or yada, yada. We can come up with so many things. But that is me first culture talking. That is not kingdom of God culture talking, right? You can do it. You can cross barriers and boundaries because we're called to be different than the world. And I'm calling us to be laid down the right to indifference towards people. What is the pe- who are the people or the groups that you feel no love in your heart for them? Go spend time with that, with that person, that group, right? Don't be indifferent, it's it's not, that's not good enough for me anymore because I'm in the kingdom of God, right? And I believe that Jesus has got something for me. And we respond by praying and loving them, not returning hate with hate, making friends with people like Spurs fans, right? Just Just you're released to go do it because it matters in the kingdom. Imagine if that was the Christian stereotype. You know how cool that would be? Like, oh, those Christians, they're always loving people. You know? They're always hanging out with people they're not supposed to. You know? They're always just serving, uh, you know, every other religion, you know? Man, that'd be sweet. And, uh, hey, we finish here with verse 48. Yeah, now this is important for us because I used to read this verse and think it was like an excuse to not live out anything. Because it says, You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly father is perfect. I used to get like just dejected at that or think, Well, I'm not gonna be perfect, so I guess I don't have to love any of my enemies. You know, <laughs> like oh, got out of that one. You know. But I was talking to, to Yancey Smith this week, and it's interesting because uh, you know, the the word that Jesus used here, probably in Aramaic, um, it can mean perfect or blameless or complete. And in this context, it really determines what it means. And for many of us, we read that like it's a performance thing. Like I have to perform perfection, right? In order to attain uh, loving your enemies, in order to attain being in God's family. But it's like totally the opposite, right? We're in God's family. And so we start loving enemies. And so therefore we're like God who is perfect, holy, complete, and blameless, right? And so if we start reading this about, this is about sharing in this life with Jesus versus achieving something, then this, this verse, is not going to trip us up anymore, right? And so you are called to be perfect like your father is perfect because your father is, is, is helping you live this out, right? And it doesn't mean you're never going to make a mistake, but it means you're going to be complete in Jesus, right? And so that, that's what that verse is about. And this leads me exactly into the only conclusion that I can end with, which is that the greatest case for living this life of laying down our rights, it can only come from the character of God, Because I can say so many things to you. I can can preach another sermon right now if you want me to. Uh, I'm not going to do that because I'm hungry. But, uh, you know, Jesus, like like Jesus, his character is the only really thing that we need to know. Right? Because this is just what God's like. God is self-giving. He gave up his life. Jesus gave up his life for us he left perfection and came into nastiness. God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Right? That's who God is. And so if we just start getting wrecked on the character of God, this is going to make sense. And It's not going to make sense until we know that this is who God is. Loving your enemies makes sense when you know how good God is and how much he loves his enemies and how much he gives himself. The cross is the ultimate sign of laying down your rights. Jesus let his own creation kill him. The people he created killed him and he did it willingly because he knew that that was going to lead to life for all right, and so Jesus, He's got to be your source for love and acceptance and validation. But that's the life you were made for. And so when you start living that way, it's all going to make sense to you. And so we're gonna we're gonna respond here. So you guys can go ahead and stand up, ministry team, go ahead and come forward, worship team. And uh, here's the deal, guys: is that there's a danger today that you're going to walk out of these doors and you're going to completely re-enter the flow of me first culture. Okay, so it's it's still out there. You're going to walk into a culture that says, put yourself first at any cost. You're going to walk out here and there's going to be selfishness everywhere that you look. And it's going to be easy to just get in the flow again right? And it's going to be hard to lay down your rights, but this is the life that you were made for. And Jesus can allow you to live this life. He is the only way that you can live this life out. He is the only way that you can lay down your rights because he is the source. And so um, I, I said at the beginning, I wanted to set you and Jesus up and I hope that that was happening. Uh, but we're also going to just do it a little bit more practically here. We have a, a front open for you to come and receive prayer. And specifically, if you feel like there's some certain personal rights that are in the way of you experiencing God or loving other people, and that's just arising in you, then come to the front. We'd love to pray with you and just let those things just get laid down. And maybe you are following Jesus. You love him. And you realize that there's some places in your life that he's not the source and you didn't realize it. And so it's Lent, guys. Let's lay it down. And so come to the front. Get some prayer. Maybe you have never started following Jesus and you want to trade in me first for kingdom of God. God, because, listen, this is way better, right? The kingdom of God is way better than all this junk. And so, please, come to the front. We'd love to help you start that. And listen, guys, this is for everybody. If you know at least one human, then you have some practicals to work out today, okay? And so, Guys, come to the front. Get some prayer. Don't leave this place without getting prayed for. This is a message for everybody. Let me pray and then let's come respond. Jesus, we thank you, Lord, that your kingdom is so good and it invites us into something that's so much better than we could do on our own. And God, we ask that you'd help us lay down our rights this morning, Jesus. Help us start a journey of living this way, not just on Sundays, but every day, Jesus. So Lord, would you come, would you be here and help us respond to you in love? In Jesus' name. Amen. Come to the front.